Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Inflammatory Content, the podcast where I, Kellen Cavanero, give you, the audience, the latest research related to immunology, as well as microbiology and genetics. In episode four of the podcast, we discussed group two innate lymphoid cells and their role in allergic airway disease. In episode seven, we talked about unconventional T cells and how they can be used to kill cancer. Well, today, we're going to look at the overlap between these two topics. That is, what role do ILC2s play in tumor development? This is a novel question that many labs around the world are beginning to ask. Remember, ILC2s were only discovered in 2010. Given that ILC2s make enormous amounts of type 2 cytokines, Research has mainly focused on the role of ILC2s in regulating type 2 diseases such as allergy and helminth infections. However, as time has gone on, we have begun to see that these cells can do so much more. ILC2s are enriched in adipose tissue and directly promote the beijing of adipocytes. They reside in the stomach and provide protection against Helicobacter pylori. And... As we'll see in today's paper, ILC2s are capable of promoting anti-cancer immunity. This field of ILC2 research is so exciting, and I can't wait to see what comes next. With that, let's get into the paper. The title of today's article is ILC2s Amplify PD-1 Blockade by Activating Tissue-Specific Cancer Immunity. The lead and corresponding authors are John Alec Morale and Vinod Balachandran, respectively. They are from the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City. This report was published in the journal Nature. The overarching goal of this paper was to elucidate the role of ILC2s in pancreatic cancer. Prior to this report, ILC2s have been found in the tumor microenvironment of several different tumor types, though their role in regulating cancer development has been unclear. Do they promote cancer development, or do they inhibit it, or do they do nothing? To approach this, the authors first looked at the levels of ILC2s in human pancreatic ductal adenocarcinomas, or PDACs. Before we get into the data, Let's talk briefly about this particular form of cancer. Of cancer-related deaths, this form of cancer is the fourth most common cause. The prognosis for patients diagnosed with PDAC is poor. It has a mere 6% five-year survival rate. The only effective treatment is surgery. Okay, let's get into the data. The authors noted a marked increase in tumor ILC2s compared to normal pancreas tissue. They then stratified their patients by short and long-term survival. This analysis revealed that ILC2s were enriched in the tumors of patients with long-term survival. While this is a correlational finding, it does suggest that ILC2s may be promoting long-term survival. Because the alarming cytokine IL-33 potently activates ILC2s, the authors next looked at IL-33 expression in the tumors. In support of the ILC2 finding, the authors found that patients with higher levels of IL-33 tended to live longer. 
To determine whether ILC2s were in fact protective, the authors turned to experimental cancer models in mice. As with humans, ILC2s were enriched in pancreas tumors compared to normal tissue. This finding suggests that conclusions made regarding mouse pancreatic cancer may translate to humans. Because IL-33 levels correlated with survival in human patients, the authors investigated the role of IL-33 in their animal model. When IL-33 was genetically deleted, or knocked out, the level of ILC2s in the tumors shrank to almost zero. Thus, IL-33 is required for ILC2 accumulation in this specific tumor type. This finding jives well with the greater ILC2 literature. In the majority of tissues in which ILC2s are found, the level of ILC2s will be severely attenuated in the absence of IL-33, as IL-33 is a potent ILC2 activator. So, IL-33-dependent ILC2s infiltrate these pancreatic tumors, that's all well and good, but are they beneficial or pathogenic? The authors dig into this next. They take their IL-33 knockout mice and look at cancer endpoints, such as tumor weight, volume, and overall animal survival. The IL-33 deficient mice that also have severely reduced tumor infiltrating ILC2 levels did not survive as long as their IL-33-sufficient counterparts, and their tumors were larger. These results suggest that ILC2s are actually protective. But how are they protective? The authors next explored whether ILC2s regulated CD8 T-cells, which, along with natural killer cells, are known cancer-killing machines. When the authors examined the frequency of cytotoxic T-cells infiltrating the tumors of IL-33-deficient mice, they found a modest yet significant decrease in IFN-gamma positive CD8 T-cells. To demonstrate that this reduction in CD8 T-cells was responsible for the improved cancer outcome, T-cells were depleted in the IL-33 knockout mice. The size of these tumors were no different than the IL-33-sufficient animals. Based on these results and a few others that I will not mention, the authors conclude that IL-33-dependent ILC2s drive the activation of anti-tumor CD8 T-cells. As someone who has spent a lot of time thinking about ILC2s, this was a surprising mechanism. As innate lymphoid cells, ILC2s are conventionally regarded as regulators of the innate immune response, not the adaptive immune response. That being said, I am familiar with a few ways in which ILC2s can regulate these sorts of responses. For example, ILC2s express both MHC1 and MHC2, so they may present antigen to both CD8 and CD4 T-cells, respectively. Additionally, ILC2-derived IL-13 has been shown to drive dendritic cell trafficking to the lymph node for antigen presentation. In line with the latter finding, the authors noted that the level of intratumoral dendritic cells positively correlated with the level of IL-33, and further that the dendritic cells were required for the anti-tumor response. Interestingly, through transcriptomic analysis, the authors identified CCL5 
as the ILC2-derived mediator that regulates dendritic cell trafficking, unlike IL-13 in the aforementioned study. Already, this is an awesome study. The authors make the important observation that ILC2s regulate anti-tumor immunity. Further, they elucidate the near-complete mechanism by which ILC2s do this. IL-33 drives the accumulation of intratumoral ILC2s, which then produce CCL5 that goes on to promote dendritic cell migration to the tumor, ultimately culminating in increased tumor killing by CD8 T-cells. These discoveries suggest that recombinant IL-33 may represent a potential therapeutic for treatment of pancreatic ductal adenocarcinomas. Despite making these highly novel and significant discoveries, the authors were not done yet. They did more experiments. They investigated additional strategies to induce ILC2 activation and thus shrink tumors. Given that ILC2s express the co-inhibitory receptor PD-1, coupled with the massive success checkpoint blockade has had in treating cancer patients, the authors next asked whether PD-1 blockade would potentiate ILC2-induced anti-tumor immunity. Indeed, combined anti-PD-1 and recombinant IL-33 treatment nearly abrogated mouse PDACs. Further, the authors demonstrated that ILC2 intrinsic PD-1 was important for this phenotype. Overall, this study demonstrates that combined recombinant IL-33 and anti-PD-1 therapy may be effective for patients with pancreatic ductal adenocarcinomas, a cancer type with a particularly poor prognosis. That findings in one cancer type do not necessarily translate to other cancer types is important to note. The levels of ILC2s in breast, liver, and skin cancer are correlated with oncogenesis. In such cases, ILC2s may be pathogenic. In support of this idea, Wang and colleagues recently published a report in Cell Research demonstrating that ILC2s drive colorectal cancer. Overall, I hope we can all appreciate the context-dependent nature of the role of ILC2s in tumor immunity. Future studies should build on this work by using patient samples as well as mouse models to determine the role of ILC2s in each specific cancer type. Importantly, recent research in the cancer field has demonstrated the vast heterogeneity within each cancer type. Therefore, the role of ILC2s in each cancer type may vary greatly depending on the specific makeup of each individual cancer. Not only are cancers incredibly heterogeneous, but so are ILC2s. Therefore, it is vitally important that when we investigate tumors for the infiltration of ILC2s, that we use an inclusive set of surface markers for their identification. Otherwise, we may miss ILC2s and thus miss the opportunity to leverage ILC2s for the treatment of cancer. All right, that concludes the paper. Now on to the things I have learned segment. As we're all aware, science is filled with failure. However, there are really two different types of failure. The first is an intrinsic part of the scientific process. You do an experiment, but find that your hypothesis was wrong. This is the good kind of failure because it leads you closer to the truth. The other kind of failure is due to human error. We make mistakes. This is the bad kind of failure because it moves us no closer to the truth. 
It wastes time, money, and energy. Personally, I do whatever I can to minimize this form of failure. For example, when performing an experiment, I nearly always use a protocol. Even if I've done that experiment thousands of times, this practice helps ensure that I don't screw up. Surprisingly, not a lot of scientists do this. I picked up this habit from the aviation industry. Pilots always use checklists. Human lives are in their hands, so the stakes are very high. I aim to treat my research the same way. Framing my work in this manner has helped me considerably, and I hope it helps you too. On that note, let's wrap this thing up. I really appreciate you all for listening. Please feel free to write us an email, interact with me on Twitter if you have any questions. I would love to hear from you.